You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Wonderful stories. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, guys. So good to hear what the Lord is doing in the lives of our people. Um, My name is Matt Younger. I'm one of the pastors uh, here on staff. I'd like to welcome you, especially uh, folks who are new to Northway. Maybe you're connected in some way to the uh, babies that we prayed over or somebody in here just want to uh, welcome you on behalf of our leadership and uh, say it's uh, our joy to have you here with us this morning. So uh, we're going to talk this morning uh, about uh, John 13. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, we're going to look at two verses, verses 34 and 35. So John 13, 34 and 35. And Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I want to talk briefly this morning about how God's love changes us, how God's love drives us towards one another, and how God's love through us draws our neighbors in. That is the main idea. And I'll start with how God's love changes us. I think it's important for us theologically to remember that uh, the love of Christ is love that existed before time before the world began. And um, I think about, it was Tozer who said, what we think about when we think about God is actually the most important thing about us. And so if our view of God is one or two or three dimensional and not fully orbed, and I'm not assuming that any of us can ever actually comprehend the full knowledge of God, that would be crazy. But maybe if like our view of God is that he's perfectly holy and righteous, and that's all he is, that we're going to miss this categorically important part of God's character. And that's that, yes, God is perfect, but God is also perfectly joyful. Like, have you thought about that? That God is perfectly joyful, that in what theologians say uh, is the dance of God, something you see, especially in the Gospel of John, that what you see are these glimpses of how the Trinity exists, how God exists within the Trinity, that uh, like, like uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is, deci- uh, Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water. And then what do we hear? The voice of the father who says, this is my son and who I am well pleased. But you get further into this. Not only does the father love to glorify the son, uh, the spirit glorifies the son. The son glorifies the father. Uh, Jesus says uh, in, later on in the Gospel of John, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world ever existed. John will say in the first chapter that Jesus exists eternally in, uh, by the side of the Father. In the Greek, that's in the, in the, in the bosom. Like that's the place of greatest intimacy. That within the, the, the Trinity, you see this active love 
between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, so much so that some theologians, not me, dared to call it a dance. And so I guess my first point is that if our view of God is that he is static and not dynamic, that he is not actively loving, and that he is not just loving, but perfectly loving, and not just joyful, but perfectly joyful, we are missing one of the most basic characters of God. George Marsden, I'll throw a quote up behind me, professor in Notre Dame who had a keen interest in Jonathan Edwards' life, who uh, was the foremost thinker for me in understanding the love and the joy within the Trinity, uh, says this, He says that the universe, this is creation, is an explosion of God's glory. Perfect goodness, beauty, and love radiate from God and draw creatures to ever increasingly share in the Godhead's joy and delight. The ultimate end of creation then is union and love between God and loving creatures. Guys, the picture here is that God, there is nothing more glorious and there is no one more joyful than God. Every glimpse of joy that we long for, every keynote in whatever, like, what it, like the, the high mark of your favorite movie, like the moment where it all comes together in an ecstatic way, when, when you see sacrificial substitutionary love, when you hear, wherever you see it, are just these little glimpses and signposts of the love that we see in God. There is nothing more glorious and beautiful and joyful, nothing more than God himself, that God exists as perfectly joyful. And it's in that joy, a God who lacked nothing and needed nothing, that he creates the world as an overflow It's been said like a a fountain isn't broken when water is lapping over the edges. God's joy could not be contained so much so that although he didn't need the world he made for us, he made it as an extension of his joy for the expression of his glory and so that we would share in that joy. And that's essential to our understanding of God. Because again, my first point is that the love of God changes us. So what is our problem? Is our problem that we aren't on a joy quest that we like fundamentally miss joy in God. No, our problem, my problem, your problem is that we are on a joy quest. We're just looking for joy in other things and not God. That's just another way to define idolatry. Uh, I was hanging out this uh, a couple weeks ago with a mentor of mine. And uh, man, he's one of those guys who, if you look at his uh, credentials or his resume, uh, the dude's just kind of uh, done all the things that we want to do in Dallas. He kind of has the Dallas resume. So uh, he, has a, uh, he has an MBA uh, from an Ivy League school, and uh, he's gone from leading at a really high level in a church where he does now, uh, and then uh, back and forth from like hedge fund, private equity, back to a church. He's 60 years old. Again, just really sharp guy, beautiful family, really athletic family. I mean, like, like he's just kind of one of those like Midas touch guys, just that you look, you look at everything he, and it just looks like blessing. And I've just been so privileged to get some time with him over the last couple of years And uh, we were processing some things. I was just processing some things personally. And I'm looking at this 60-year-old guy who's just so credentialed, 
who so many of us wanna be, who so many of us wake up thinking about, man, if I could only be like this guy, then maybe I'll have everything that I want. And he just stopped me dead in my tracks and he reminded me probably for the 10,000th time, he's like, yeah, hey, Matt, external affirmation is not gonna get you anywhere. I'm just going, hang on a second. So you have like the beautiful family and your kids are all college athletes and you've made all this money and you lead this church at a high level and everything you say is smart and you went to Harvard and you're saying none of that has satisfied the longing for joy that you have in your heart. And he's like, no, not one bit. In fact, he's like, there's a greater temptation in my life because of those things to put my hope in those things. But he's like, those external affirmations will get me nowhere. If I'm looking for joy in anything apart from God, it's foolish and unfounded, it's wasted, it will get me nowhere. And I went, huh, well maybe I still wanna be like you then. (laughs) Yeah, our problem is that we put joy in other things. Think about this, if there was ever a text that we could just move on quickly to the next thing and miss, it's this one. Jesus says, as I have loved you, maybe to say it another way, as I have shared the joy of the Trinity with you, let's just stop and think about that. Like how has God loved us? The ruling metaphor, one of them in the New Testament is God's love for his church, seen in the picture of husband and wife. Like how does God love us? Okay, well, let's just, here's a sample. Um, He set his sights on us before we were born. He bears with us on the dark night of our soul. He thinks the best of us. He's patient with us. He prays constantly for us. He's perpetually encouraging to us. He bears with us. He stays with us when everybody abandons us. He goes to the cross for us. He dies for us. He resurrects for us. He promises us. new and completely transformed future for us. And he says, I'm with you until the very end. That's how Christ has loved his church. And the disciples got a actual real-time experience of being loved by God. Imagine that. And what he just said here is, is I have loved you. And I'm telling you guys, if that's just a cognitive thing for you, If the love of God is not a constant experience that you go back to every day in your life where you are always remembering the love of God, then your joy quest is going to drift towards the things that you care about more than God. And so am I. I have never figured out how to wake up joyful, ever. Not one time. I'm 41 years old. I've tried everything. Most mornings when I wake up, even on a good night's sleep, it's like a bear coming out of hibernation. I might actually need to get saved every morning. That's not theologically accurate, but I just, and so I have realized in the morning, and this is just one thing, and I've paid so much dumb tax here. So please don't like think of me, but like of, of how God has shown me this. Like I know this, if I wake up, which I can, I have kids, I can wake up to an alarm and I just sit on the couch. I'm probably just gonna sit on the couch, open up my Bible and zone out for 30 to 45 minutes or take a really long shower. 
because I'm just a zombie. But if you look at my ring camera on most days, about 5.50, and I've realized I have to make coffee, get my dog's leash ready, um, you're gonna see me stumbling out like a drunken sailor at about 5.50 in the morning going on a walk because I've realized that if I can just go on a walk right when I wake up and I can think about the people in my life who are suffering and I can think about things for which I am specifically grateful that God will meet with me on that walk. And that's how on my best days, and that's not every day, I try to experience the love of God because I know like you, if I don't do that, I'm gonna drift towards all the things that are towards some kind of external affirmation. And Jesus says, as I have loved you. Because what's on the other side of that? Guys, the, like the, Psalm 4-7 says this, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Do you understand that, like Peter says, we've become partakers of the divine nature. Do you understand what God in Trinitarian form did when God sent Jesus to us. He did nothing short through the redemption of Christ of bringing us into the joy of God. That is what our reconciliation, and that's what it means to be a Christian, to join God in his joy. And that's what Jesus has done for us to bring us into the joy of God as he has loved us. But it doesn't stop there. Lest we be the frozen chosen, fat heads and famished hearts, where all we do is think about God all day and do nothing else with that, so be it. Jesus says more, a new commandment I give you that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. The picture here is transformational community. Uh, the the uh, discipleship is decisively in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, a communal project. This is the way of Jesus with his disciples. This is the way of the New Testament and the one another's. We'll talk about that in a minute. And even the context of this passage, guys, there's some very significant things happening. Judas is real time in John 13 betraying Jesus and Jesus is in his last hours on earth. So his words have become all the more precious and he has doubled down in this minute to say, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. It's that important in your discipleship of following of me that you are to love one another. It is the way of Christ. God's love is active, not static. God is up to something. You don't ever have to worry about if God is up to something. God is God and God is up to something. The question is, are we gonna join him in what he's up to and are we going to keep up with the Holy Spirit as Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament? Because the love of God, the joy of God is actively moving. It's a current for us to find ourselves in. It's not some kind of inertia that we have to wake up. It, there is, it's a current to find ourselves in. The love of God is strong. He is not lacking. 
in the activity of joy in the Trinity. And so we are meant to spend our life together. And that means that we sit under the word like we do on Sunday. We take the Lord's Supper together. We sing together. It means that we sit under great teaching like we did Friday night at the Singles Forum. The forum on welcoming, welcoming singles is family. Paul Mathis, one of our members, just did a fantastic job. One of the best treatments I've ever seen of that conversation. It means that we bear with one. It means that like my, uh, my, my dad's wife passed away a couple weeks ago. And so my community has just been blowing me up, asking us how we're doing. What do y'all need? Uh, my, my friend, Randy, who's in our community, he lost his mother a few days ago. And so we are checking in and we are loving one another as best we can. This is God's way where we are saying, I exist, this is discipleship. I exist, this is transformational community. I exist for your joy in Christ. We are a community of followers of Christ and I exist in a very real way to submit my life to you for your joy in Christ. And to the degree that we know and we encounter God's love will be a catalyst out towards the people around us. That's how joy works. Yesterday, my fourth grade boy and I were on, a way, uh, on our way to a retreat. We went to Sky Ranch for the day. We stopped at QT and uh, he got some kind of like, uh, two-sided mint gum thing. And I let him get it. And uh, I told, he's like, hey, do you want one? Do you want one? I kept telling him no. He's like, dad, please. And finally I was like, I'll take it. Right, give it to me. I'll take the sugar, give it to me. And why did he want me to have that? Because he had joy in it and he wanted to share the joy with his dad. It's why when you get a text of something funny, you send it out to your friends. Because joy is not contained, it's shared. And it's meant to be shared among the people of God. And something I can tell you at Northway with respect to community, and I've been, my wife and I have been here um, 14 plus years. And so just call me old, old. Um, but what I can tell you, you know, bar none, greatest question in 15 years of people coming in is, how do I get into community? because there's no deeper longing for community at Northway. And it begs this really important question, why is community so hard for us? Let me spend a little bit of time on that. I think community is so hard for some of us, number one, because we idealize it. And I don't think our culture helps us very much, right, with felt and focused needs being preeminent. But I think we've all been discipled by even by like TV shows, some of which are before your time, but like even starting with your time, like when y'all were born, they were making this show called Friends that a lot of us were influenced by. And, uh, and then you just kind of keep going into the office and you keep going. And, and really what so, many, so much of us have been discipled by are just these, these great portrayals of friends and families coming together with all of their quirks and knowing one another in the most intimate way with the ability for us to turn on Netflix and literally press play and immediately be in that orbit and then subconsciously think that maybe we're the hidden character in the story and that we actually orbit around the lives of the people in the story. And so we come in with our longings for deep friendship and community. And I'm here to tell you, it's a beautiful longing. But for so many of us, it's an idealized longing. 
that we think we're just going to show up on our terms with a group of people who have been curated to be our best friends to satisfy every kind of longing and need we have in our heart. It's crazy that that's our view of community, some of us. Basically that we think we're gonna put in minimal work on our time with our busy schedules and make it all work in a way that's conducive to us. It's idealized and I think in part of that ideal is that we have lost a biblical vision for community. What did Jesus say? As I have loved you, you go love. What part of showing up with felt needs do we read into this passage? What part of, okay, well, I'm really busy, but I think I have time Tuesday nights if, we can, if you can find me a gospel community in Preston Hollow, but it needs to be after seven because that's when I do yoga. So it's after seven. And then, you know, I don't want it to be too big. And can there be like a Beth Moore mentor type in there? Cause I'm really looking for that. And I mean, it's just this super curated and I just go, where in the world does that come from? First of all, if that group exists, I'd beat you to it. Guys, do you understand that community is forged far more than it's ever found? It's a bunch of people like Christ who show up for the sake of others. Who say, I might be limping along in here, but my life is spoken for because of Christ. So I'm going to show up for you. A couple caveats to that is there are some seasons where we need to be carried Some of us are in seasons where we need to be carried. Some of us are going through, uh, I I sat with a guy yesterday telling me about a awful divorce and he needs to be carried. Some of us are in the throes of of, uh, becoming a widow and they need to be carried. Some of us are deeply depressed. We need to be carried. Some of us are going through cancer And we need to be carried. There is a season of life where you raise your hand and you say, I need to be carried. And I I mean this, if that's you, I can't promise you Ross and Rachel, and I can't promise that I'm going to make that happen, but I can have a conversation with you and we can pray for you today. And I will do everything I can to find somebody to help you today. I, I can do that but nobody can give you your best friends. That's not my job, it's not our job. That will happen over time. But we have to prioritize our calling to love over and against this curated list of needs that we think we have. That's not how life together works. It never has worked that way. So. How does it work? And speaking of people in those carried seasons, this is just an aside. It's not even in my notes. If somebody in your orbit is going through one of those need to be carried questions or seasons, you don't have to ask them, how are you? Because everybody's already asking them that. And they're probably really exhausted by the question. But what you can do is you can say, hey, I love you. 
And instead of going, hey, what can I do something? What can I do for you to help? You can do something to help. You can say, hey, um, I got dinner for you this week. You just tell me the night. Or I'm gonna watch your kid. You just tell me the night. And if you know somebody in that season, the ability to show up for them and just assume that they're not doing okay is a really profound gesture. Okay, getting back to how we flourish. How do we flourish in our life together? We show up to love. Christians show up having their lives, our lives accounted for. I have been redeemed by Christ. I have been healed. I have been forgiven. The worst part of my life is forgiven and in my past. So I might be limping in right now with some hard things, but I am showing up foundationally to love because my life is accounted for. I don't need you. I get to need people less and love people more. I don't need you in a self-reliant way. I belong to Christ. So in, in view of that freedom, I get to love. And again, I get to forge community with you over time in a patient way. And we talked about this being the way of the New Testament. I'm just gonna give you a little glimpse of some of the one another's. There's 59. I can't even begin to spend time in talking about one of all, uh, all the one another's of scripture, but I can give you some of them. This is God's word. This is Holy Spirit ordained ways that the communal transformation discipleship project works. You ready for this? Encourage one another. Greet one another by name. There's power in a greeting. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Unless he's not doing okay. Don't ask him that. I already told you that. Have compassion for, live in peace, confess to, don't lie to, build up, except, I'm just quoting scripture, except don't pay back wrong, do good, spur to love, don't deprive, be patient with, be gentle, pray for, sing to, be devoted to, have the mind of Christ for, spur to love, agree, offer hospitality. I feel like I'm in the dance of God. I'm trying to keep the cadence going. Admonish, don't, don't provoke, be patient, be gentle, submit to, offer hospitality, don't deprive, do good. This is the discipleship project of growing to share God's joy with one another. Amen? And this is what we are called to do from Christ himself in his very last hours with his most meaningful words to us. Love is I have loved you. And so if we are not actively engaging our brothers and sisters for their joy in Christ, we have to ask why. Why, it, why are we not? And it may be that we love ourselves so much that we don't have time for other people. This is a very real possibility. And if you won't open yourself to that possibility, then I'm concerned for you. Because Jesus says in the parable of the sower that the uh, worries of life can choke out good. I mean, it is so entirely possible. I'm looking at myself in the mirror to let our own worries and consume, consumption of our own worries choke us out from loving our brothers and sisters the way that Christ has asked us to. It may be that we're struggling with this 
constant, ever, just always you with it, always with us, conversation about busyness. I'm just so busy. And uh, man, here's what I know. I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm busy, you're busy. I, I don't, I, I'm not gonna pretend that I can solve our busy problems. But I do know this, and, and, and Jesus has even given us an outline here in these two verses. That if we are too busy, if we can't think deeply about God, invest in our brothers and sisters, and invite people into the love of God, then we are too busy. If you can't think actively and deeply about God, love your brothers and sisters well and invite people into your world, you are too busy. New commandment that I give you, that is I have loved you. You are to love one another. What is it that changes us? Like, really? What is it that changes us? It's the love of Christ. It's the experience, the ongoing active experience of the joy of the Trinity, the love of Christ made man. That's what changes us. It's what changed Peter from this really self-absorbed, prideful guy to someone who an angel had to wake up in prison right before he was about to die. Can you imagine that kind of confidence? It's what changed Mary Magdalene from whatever she was doing before she met Christ, whatever was going on there to, kind of, to being the kind of woman who just wanted to sit at his feet and learn from him. We have to actively engage, sit at his feet. Our love flows from him. And no other source. And so, just from my heart to yours, with respect to your community, which at Northway, we put a huge emphasis on gospel communities because we think it's the diesel engine of discipleship. It's life through the seasons. And uh, while you're always uh, free to be invited into a GC, um, we, uh, we, we make the process of getting into a GC uh, consistent with our membership because we want to prioritize membership in, a, in, a, in the highest commitment to Northway with the ability to forge friendships and life together community. And even then, it's still hard. And I don't want it to be harder for any of us than it should be. And for some of you, the experience has been too hard and I'm sorry. But I want you to know our commitment is to do everything we can for our members to experience life together because it's that important and we wanna help you. And so my pastoral encouragement is just patience, bring your wounds and show up to love. And be the initiator of the things that you want to see. Take your vision of what you want and do everything you can to make it happen. And I think you'll see that there's maybe a lot of people who your initiative brings a significant blessing to that maybe are even more lonely than you are right now.
Okay, last thing. We talked about how the love of God changes us. It drives us towards one another. Let's look at verse 35. This is astounding. By all this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, you see Jesus just talked about what the love, the joy of God actually does with our neighbors. It like it it draws them in. Like if you want to know what draws people to Christ, um, like I love apologetics. Our brother mentioned a C.S. Lewis quote earlier. I love the great preachers in history, the revivalist. Man, God has used them and continues to use them in most significant ways. But do you know that most stories in those waters over the years have sounded something like, I met some people and I was really compelled by their life. And through that process, I heard and saw the gospel modeled. That over and over and again, we see that what draws people to Christ is the way that we love one another. It is the ethic of love. It was the youth minister at Plymouth Park Baptist Church when I was in middle school named Todd, whose sermons I don't remember. I hope he never hears that. I don't remember. I I literally don't remember one thing he said. But I saw the way he loved me and he loved us. Our trips to Sonic where... He asked me how I was doing. He prayed for me. He cared for me amidst the hardest days of my life, my strongest insecurity. I watched the way he loved his wife and his children. And I didn't just want to be like him. I wanted to be him. Because he saw me as sacred. And the power of his life and the power of his words came together and it transformed my life because I was loved into faith. What do I want for us? I want us to see the people around us as sacred. Your neighbors, your coworkers. I want us to believe that the quality of our lives and the power of our words can bring about the greatest transformation in the lives of others as well. Listen, guys, there are people around us who are noticing the quality of our lives, I hope. So why don't we live compellingly and invite them into the truth and grace of Christ? And why don't we hear more stories in those waters about people in our orbit as well? God has shared his joy with us, a joy that existed long before the world ever existed. The mission of Christ was to come and share that joy, the joy of God with us. It is the experience of joy together. My joy, my desire is your joy in Christ that is the transformational communal discipleship process. And the overflow of that joy, that love, is what Jesus says is perhaps the most attractive thing for the people around us seeing the character of God, the dance of God at play in our 
lives. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us to sit under the love of Christ yet again, a view of the Father that is perfect and holy, but also perfectly joyful. And that we would see your desire to share your joy and your love with us. And may that change us to be the kind of people that you are calling us to be, both towards one another and towards our neighbors. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.